And Lord, as we turn to your scriptures, we come with open hearts, we come with humble hearts, acknowledging our need for your touch, your grace, your wisdom. Speak to us, challenge us where we need it, inspire us, but more than anything, open our eyes to see you, that we might love you more, that we might become more like you. Lights shining ever brighter in the darkness. We pray in the glorious, matchless, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Acts, and I want us to turn to a passage that is found at the end of chapter 15. If you were with us last week, you'll remember we touched upon what is this interlude in the midst of Paul's missionary journeys, where the Spirit of the Lord leads Paul, as well as really all of the key leaders in the church at that time, to gather for the Council of Jerusalem. And we examined a little bit about what that meant, not only for them and the development of the early church, but what it meant for us. Hopefully our hearts were stirred and encouraged in that regard. And there's this one little interlude there at the end of chapter 15. Remembering the context here is that that Paul and Barnabas have been a part of this council. They've fought gloriously and well for the preservation of the gospel and the purposes of the Lord in the plans of the church at that time, and there's this strange little detail that we find, just this little, another little parenthesis before we launch off on Paul's second missionary journey, but an important one nonetheless. Kind of a sobering moment, but I'm hoping in the midst of being sobering, it's also encouraging for us. It says this in chapter 15, verse 36, and after some day, so... What I forgot to mention was we've had the council at Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas have been back at the church in Antioch. They've been strengthening the brothers. They've been uh, teaching. And this is, of course, the church that sent them out for some period. It says, verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. See how they are. See how they're doing. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This was his, his heart. He was there to make disciples, not just converts, but there was this genuine love and passion in Paul's heart to see people established in their faith, to see them really doing well, to put grit into the lives of the believer was one expression that Luke uses as they go and encourage them and establish them in the faith. So he says, let's go back. In verse 37, it says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. He had accompanied them for a portion of the first missionary journey. We don't know why, scriptures are not clear, but for some reason he had had enough and he turned around and went home and left Barnabas and Paul to head on their way. So for that reason, verse 38 says, but Paul thought it best not to take one with them who'd withdrawn from them in the previous mission trip and not continued on in the work. This is interesting. Verse 39 says, And there rose a sharp disagreement. Now, sharp disagreement is the way the uh, ESV puts it, but I don't want us to gloss over the reality of what is being described here. This was not just a moment of intense fellowship. They weren't sitting down just for a hearty debate. This was a sharp disagreement. This was a significant dispute between... Barnabas and Paul. And it says it was so sharp, it was such a big deal, that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. 
But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he headed off through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So we have this moment as Paul's about to launch out into the second missionary journey. He says, let's go. Believe probably he's feeling feeling that urgency from the Lord. It's time to go. And yet, just as they're about to head off, there's this major argument, this serious discussion, this sharp disagreement that is so sharp that this partnership that was divinely ordained, remember this wasn't their good idea, this was the Spirit who said in the midst of what was happening in Antioch, separate for me Paul and Barnabas. This was the Lord's idea. This was a partnership that he put together and all of a sudden that partnership has been broken and they go separate ways. And so I want to give us two realities here in the midst of this account and reasons that I think this is important and valuable, and also, I pray, will be, on some level, at least, encouraging. And I, th- I think what's important as I read this passage, there's really two aspects to this. One is that we should see this account as a warning. That's kind of the, the bad news, the part that perhaps we don't want to wrestle with through too much. But we will a little. But then also, I think we should see this passage as a great encouragement. So how many of us are bad news first and then good news? How many are, give me the good news and then we can kind of gloss over the bad and put it in the footnotes. Bad news first? Most of us good news first? There's a few of both. All right, well, we're going to do the warning first, we're going to go bad news, and then we're going to finish, hopefully, with an encouragement. So here's why I believe this is a warning. You see, it's interesting that the text is intentionally unclear about who was right. It makes... Uh, no attempt at trying to separate between Paul and Barnabas who was correct in the argument. That is not the point. And one other assumption that, interestingly, is spread, I wouldn't say widely, but certainly surfaces if you examine this text from time to time, is people who come from a perspective of somehow thinking, well, actually, this was the intention of the Lord. This is something that the Lord caused in order for the multiplication of the missionary trips and something that he would use. Now, we will see that the Lord would, will use what happens here, but this is in no way ordained by the Lord. And we know that for two reasons. Number one is as we have gone to great lengths to point out as we've gone through this book of Acts, this has been the Holy Spirit orchestrating everything that's happened in detail. He says separate, he says go, he directs the missionary journeys. And did you notice there was one thing that was very starkly obvious about this passage? There was no mention of the Holy Spirit in there. Not once did it say, and the Holy Spirit caused the division. Even the Jerusalem Council, we we looked at that from Galatians. The Spirit says to Paul, go, go up there. This is part of my will. There's no mention of that anywhere in the text. That's the first issue to, to believe that somehow this is something that the Lord had caused. Secondly, this goes against, obviously, the heart. Jesus himself said, here's the mission, love one another. Not dispute with one another and debate and you know, may there be great dissension so you go separate ways and fulfill the great commission. He says, love one another and it's the love that will be the witness to the world. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. So let's get that out of our mind straight away. This is not 
ordained by the Holy Spirit, but certainly, and this is the encouragement up front, just so you know, but the Lord is able to use every aspect of our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the dissension, and the disagreements. So here's what we do have. We have this divinely ordained partnership. We have two men that have labored together for much time in the Lord. This has been going on some years, a couple of years, two, three years, we believe. They were on their first missionary journey. They've taught in the church of Antioch together for many years as well. They've been together for some time. And not only that, they've had incredible success. We've seen churches planted. We've seen people coming to Christ. There's been an abounding of miracles. They've endured beatings, floggings, imprisonment, persecution. They've weathered storms of life together. There is significant history between these two men. And it seems ironic that they've even just fought this battle, preserving unity over great significant theological issues. And what is it that brings undone this divinely ordained partnership? It's this trivial dispute about who they're going to take with them. Who's going to carry the bags? It all comes undone by this seemingly trivial, trivial minor issues. And I would make this comment and pray that it would serve to all of us as a warning. If you look at scriptures, if you look at this example, if you look at 2,000 years of church history, you'll see that the greatest threat to a healthy church is never circumstances that can come against it. You look at Paul and Barnabas, everything that they encountered from being left stoned for dead through persecuted, whatever they came across, it only served to fuel the fire and to spread the gospel. You look at 2,000 years of church history, when is it that the church is set on fire and that God does great things? Traditionally, over 2,000 years, we've got 2,000 years of human history, it's not in periods of great success. It's normally in the midst of great tribulation. The more tribulation arises, the more the people of God rise to meet it. You know, things just get crazy and wild and God is on the move. The greatest threat to any healthy church or healthy believers is not external opposition. It's internal division. It's not that which can come against it. It's that which can rise up from within it. As I said, we don't know from this passage exactly what it was that caused this debate and this discussion. But what we do know is that it resulted in such a strong disagreement that I would suggest, and I don't believe it's exaggerating exaggerating the point, that it was something that could have very well undermined this great call of God that he'd given to Paul and Barnabas, the two of them, to go and preach the gospel. You're the ones that I've called and anointed for this mission. And it's all undermined by this internal division. You see, so often it's the case, isn't it? It's not the things that come against us that are the issue. It's the things that we allow to rise in our heart. I've been listening to this uh, interesting podcast this past week that someone passed on, and it's about the story of Mars Hill Church. Anyone heard of a pastor by the name of Mark Driscoll? He was, a few of us have, he was someone who uh, I followed quite a bit um, during probably the, the mid, early mid-2000s. He was a very prominent um, speaker, pastor, had a very successful church, 
thousands, if not tens of thousands of people in his church, millions of people in terms of an online audience that would download his messages. And he was a guy, he did not compromise with the word of God. He preached a biblical message and there was some incredible fruit that was coming from his ministry. He was having great impact. There was salvations and the Lord was clearly on it. And then tragically, in October 2014, Mark Driscoll resigned and literally overnight, I don't think I've ever seen quite something like this happen, but the church went from multi-campuses and tens of thousands of people certainly at its heyday and it just dissolved overnight. The ministry was completely upended. Why? Well, in this instance, there was no moral failing. There was certainly no persecution or external circumstances coming against it. But it all boiled down to, and this is what this podcast is picking through and wrestling through, internal division, issues of the heart, issues of of pride and unforgiveness and these things that were left to fester away and something that had so much potential, if you like, in the kingdom, so much of the Lord on it and had done so much good was completely undone, not by the things that were coming against it, but by the things that were festering up within it. And so that's why this is a warning for us. And let's just take this down to a personal level. We're talking perhaps about churches and the great call of the Lord. Personally, what is it that poses the greatest threat to us really walking into the fullness of what God has for us? And I would suggest, and I've pastored people for, for some years, and I've seen there being being far more damaged up. Not from stuff that comes against us. I think if we think, well, like, what, what is it that's going to undermine my relationship with the Lord? Well, maybe it's a the death of a loved one. Maybe it's you know, cancer or some physical illness. Maybe it's a, it's a divorce or something as significant as that. And all these things are significant and have weight. But I would suggest that so often it's not anything external. If we are rooted and grounded and established in the Lord, those things actually only draw us deeper into his grace and his mercy and his love. But it's those little things that we allow to hang, hang around in our hearts. It's, it's bitterness. It's envy, it's unforgiveness, it's these little seeds, the seeds that are planted in our heart that become fertile soil for weeds that quickly choke the life out of the purposes and the promises of God. And so for us, we're looking here at Paul and Barnabas, two of the people that undeniably, this was the who's who of not only the missionary movement, but of the work that God was doing in the church of the time. This was the, the Billy Graves. These guys had it all. They had success. They had followings. They had the power of God at work in their lives personally and in their ministry. So if they were prone to make mistakes and to fall, then surely we should take that to heart ourselves As a warning, do we really fearfully guard our hearts against that which can rise up within us? So there's a warning here, but the good news is there's also an encouragement. Anyone ready for the encouragement? 
Let's move on to the encouragement. You see, I see this incredible encouragement as I read this account. And the encouragement is for this reason. That if you look at the kingdom of God, even though we see here that there has been a significant issue, an error that's caused division, that's caused these two people to go separate ways. In the kingdom and in the grace and the love and the mercy of our God, failure is never final. God has this capacity to work out for our good, not just the good decisions we make, not just the good choices, not just the things that are of worth and merit in our lives. But we serve a saviour who takes the good and he takes the bad, takes the ugly, he takes everything in the middle. And if we place that into the arms of his glorious grace, he will work something incredible out of it. Let's just look back at that passage for one moment because I want to just pull one thing out of there and then reflect on this theme and then we'll bring it to a close. It says this as they head off, verse 40, Paul chose Silas and departed And there's this little phrase here, it says, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, it's interesting as you you look at a lot of analysis of this particular passage that some would go as far as to suggest, and this is, as I've hopefully outlined, I believe anyway, incorrect, to say that this verse somehow indicates that the church was more on the side of Paul than it was on Silas. There'd been discussion, division, debate, Silas heads off. There's no mention of him being commended, but there is this little interesting phrase here of the brothers remembering this is the church that initially sent them out, here again, commending Paul as he chose Silas and departs off. Now, it may well be that that is the account, but I suggest that there could well be a different interpretation of what exactly is going on in this text. It says that the the brothers gather around Paul and they commend him to what? The purposes of the Lord? Back in, remind him of his his call. You know, come on, Paul, this is the Lord. This is the call on your life. Certainly, probably that was a part of it. But the phrase is simply this. It says they commended him to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word for commending literally means to give in the hands of, to give in to the power of. They're reminding Paul of the power, not of the call of God on his life, but of the grace of God to work out where there had been division and stuff going on. See, you cannot convince me that both Paul and Barnabas have gone through such history together and then such a sharp disagreement and just moved on with their lives as if nothing happened. I guarantee that there was hurt, that there was pain, that there was a wrestling through for them of how did this happen? Maybe there was even a bit of blame at some point as we love to do. Why wouldn't they? They're human just like us saying, well, you know, if if only Barnabas, if only Paul wasn't so stubborn, if only Barnabas wasn't just so nice and liking every people, if only could see the reality of, of who John Mark was. See, I think we see in this text something that's easy to gloss over. But as Paul is launched off, what is it that he needed to be reminded of? Not the call of the Lord, but the grace of the Lord that was able to continue to help him to get up and to keep going. See, this could have been a moment. It could have that derailed the ministry, that saw 
either one of them give up, or perhaps even the Lord say, well, you know what, I was really looking for two people who could actually keep it together. No, this is it, we'll find someone else, Paul and Barnabas, you're, you're on the bench. I'm going to find someone who can actually walk this out without losing it at a brother and causing disunity within the body. And yet we see the grace of God at work. And out of the ashes of failure, as he does throughout Scripture and throughout human history, he fans a new fire that burns for his glory. The greatness of Scriptures reveal this reality that the defeats of God's people are always temporary when commended and given into the power of God. And I want to remind us this morning as we look at this passage that it doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what we've done, doesn't matter the sharpness of the disagreement, doesn't matter the, the disunity, doesn't, it doesn't matter. In the kingdom of God, failures are never final. In the grace of a Savior who knew about your failures before you did, it's no surprise to him. Sometimes we think we can surprise him, can't we? Well, Lord, if you, if you really knew, if you really knew what was going on in the depths and the dark recesses of my heart. But not only did he already know about your failures, he's already provided for them. His grace is able. His grace is sufficient. See, there's, there's this is funny thing at times where I've heard this before, but people will say, you know, we, we can't focus too much on grace. We, 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 you know, we don't want to preach it too much, just a little. We need a little bit of grace, but not too much, because it'll give people liberty to sin. We don't want them to kind of gloss over something like this. This is, this is more warning. This is an example to give us more warning than it is to kind of give us this picture of God's glorious grace. The problem with that theology is grace is not permission to sin. I mean, we don't need permission to sin. We're doing a good job. But there's, there's no issue there for most of us. Grace is not permission to sin. It's an invitation to come back home. We don't need help sinning, but gee, we need help. And grace is the only means by which the Lord, through the work of Christ, can invite us to come back to Him. It's a home invitation. It's not just a, a teacup to sip from. It's an ocean to swim in. There is grace available for us today. For all mistakes, it's so refreshing that it deeply satisfies. It's so radical that it completely transforms. So as, as we look at this passage, I want us to remember two things. Number one is this picture of, of a warning. That we are a people who at times are prone to stumble. That our walk and our journey with the Lord, you know, our, our capacity to make mistakes, it didn't end and finish with the cross. Who thinks that would be nice? You know, I'll give you a gift of salvation that will save you from any capacity to make stupid choices. Unfortunately, what hasn't happened yet in my life, perhaps some of you are more slightly down the path than I am. But we live in a broken world and there is, the Lord is at work in our hearts, but there is areas of broken, brokenness there. We're prone to wander. 
It serves us as a, a warning that there is a capacity for even people, even great men of the faith, like Paul and Barnabas, to stumble and fall, to, to disagree. People who'd won incredible victories for the kingdom. And yet something internally rose up between them that caused this sharp disagreement. It serves as a warning for us to, to be aware of that, to deal with the issues of the heart. But it also serves as an encouragement that it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how we stumble. It doesn't matter how many times we fall. That there is grace available. The glorious message of the gospel is a Jesus who comes to save not just the best but the broken. See, walking with the Lord, is, it's not this picture of, well, we've just got to patch up the cracks. We've got to you know, tape the bits together, hold, hold them together the best we can to try and somehow make ourselves presentable. But it's a picture of a people who simply allow him to embrace us in the midst of our mess, in the midst of the stuff. That's the love, that's the kindness, that's the mercy that each and every one of us need. So refreshing it deeply satisfies. And so radical that it completely transforms. Can we pray? Father, I just thank you this morning. That your love was so great. That you came to rescue and redeem a people like each and every one of us here. Thank you that you saw in advance the, the paths that we would walk. But you saw as well the stuff, the mistakes that we'd make, the things that perhaps we didn't even choose, but things that were done to us. And I thank you that you're a God who loves us without limit and condition. That your grace reaches down into even those deep, dark recesses of our heart. As Paul says in, in Romans, as he, as he unfolds this incredible picture of a God who, who saves without any reference to our worthiness or it says in Romans 5 it's like the, the, the more the more there's stuff there's more there's sin there's more, the more there's, there's brokenness the more the grace of God abounds it, it, it doesn't make sense but it's so good and Father I, I pray for each and every one of us that there would be this morning as, as we just spend this moment in your presence, not just a, a fresh sip from the teacup, not just a, a fresh little thought or perspective on your grace. But Lord, I, I just pray that there would be an opportunity for each and every one of us to be plunged into that ocean again of your mercy. For those of us that are, are trying so hard perhaps to work things out, to work things through in our own strength, this would be a moment just to, to let go and to allow you.
to come and to meet us where we are. Lord, I pray that for those of us this morning where there, there is the stuff really that if we're honest, it's not stuff coming against us, but the stuff within us. Lord, we want to allow you just to, to convict our hearts of show us, show us things we pray that are not pleasing in your sight. That if there's bitterness, if there's unforgiveness, if our the soil of our hearts has become this fertile place for just weeds that have grown and choked the life out. Lord, that there'd be some, some Holy Spirit gardening this morning. That you'd come and remove those things. That you'd remind us that in you there's always a fresh start. If we'd come and just bring the the complete reality of who, who we are before you. Not keeping things hidden. Not hanging on to stuff. And I pray that we would be a people too who know what it is to be commended afresh to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Encouraged afresh. That we'd encounter that kind of grace that puts a wind in our sail, a spring in our step that from the, the ashes of defeat there would be a a rising up to run with a renewed vigor and a new passion. Just come and do your work afresh in the hearts and the lives of your people this morning, I pray. In your wonderful name. You know, it may be this morning that the Lord is just revealing some things. I pray that He is for each and every one of us. That's why we're here, not just to, to hear a message fulfill the duty. We're here to encounter Him. We're here to allow Him to do what He wants to do in our hearts and lives. Maybe that just sitting in your seats is your way to respond to Him, but there is an opportunity this morning for prayer. And if I could just get the prayer teams to come up now, if we could move, that'd be great. And I think it is important often, if the Lord is doing things, to just respond. Just come forward and say, you know what? I need some prayer here. I need some prayer in this area of my life. Would you stand with me? Would you pray? there's things that need to be dealt with, if there's things that the Lord's stirring up, if it's something completely unrelated to the message at all, that's fine. If He's doing it, He's prompting you, then I want to invite you just to come this morning and be our pleasure, pleasure and our privilege to pray for you. But bless you this week. It's been so good to be able to join together and to worship. There's no need to rush away. Still allow the Lord to minister to you. And if you'd like to respond, now's the time to come forward. Amen.